welcome to creating wealth through passive apartment investing podcast in this show we will discuss about best and worst experiences about passive and active apartment investing and i am your host ramakrishna let's begin the show today's our guest is paul moore from wellings capital welcome paul it's great to be here rama thanks for being on the show a little bit about paul after his stint at ford motor company Paul co-founded a staffing company where he was finalist for Michigan Entrepreneur of the Year two years straight. After selling the staffing firm to, to a publicly traded company, Paul began investing in real estate, founded multiple investment and development companies, appeared on HGTV, and eventually built and co-managed a successful multifamily development. Paul co-hosts two podcasts, including The Art of Investing and How to Lose Money. He's also a contributor to Fox Business and Bigger Pockets, producing live video and blog content on a weekly basis. Paul is the author of The Perfect Investment, creating wealth from the historic shift to multifamily housing and storing up profits, capitalized on America's obsession with stuff by investing in self-storage. Paul is the managing director of three commercial real estate funds at Wellings Capital. With that, Paul, would you like to add anything to your background? No, I really, that I think you hit it perfect, my friend. Thank you. So, Paul, how did you get started into real estate and multifamily? So, I was actually, I had sold my company in 97. I started of flipping houses before flipping was cool back in 2000. And uh, then I started flipping waterfront lots. I started building ground up homes. I started a small subdivision. I started a couple websites to generate leads for real estate. And all along, I kind of wondered how to get into commercial real estate, but I had no idea where the on-ramp was for that. Well, in the year 2010, we invested in oil and gas in North Dakota, which was a disaster, but we actually found that there were thousands and thousands of job openings in North Dakota, but no housing for these people. So we actually quickly built a multifamily property in 2011 for housing oil workers. And I'll tell you more about that later. But anyway, that was my entree into multifamily. And uh, I ended up writing a book about multifamily investing in 2016, like you mentioned. And uh, then I was off to the races at that point. Great. So why is it important for investors to find their big why? You know, I think it's really important because I, so I was 33 years old, Rama, and in 1997, and I woke up one morning with uh, almost $2 million in my bank account. And you know, I didn't feel any different at all than I did the day before when I had $20,000 in my bank account. But you know, I realized I had really, I realized one thing, I didn't know the first thing about investing. I knew a lot about speculating, but not investing. And the second thing is I, I didn't feel any different. And so I figured, well, if I had 2 million or 20 million or 2 billion, it wouldn't have made me any different person. So it was really important to have something really, really bigger than multifamily or bigger than just my own home and neighbors to live for. And so I eventually found out about human trafficking. And did you know if you took the record profits, at least as of three years ago, from Apple, General Motors, Starbucks, and Nike, added those together, doubled that number. That's the approximate That's the approximate annual revenues generated by human trafficking every year. It's a tragedy, Rama, and I want to do whatever I can to let the world know about this 
and to fight it and to rescue its victims. And so that's what I'm into. Yeah, thanks for sharing that point. So what are the secrets used by the super wealthy to attain and maintain their wealth over generations? One of the big secrets is the value formula of commercial real estate, which applies to multifamily and other forms of commercial. You know, if I had a residential house and I was going to flip it, I, you know, would be limited by the comps on my street and in my neighborhood. The value would be very constrained. But that's not true in commercial real estate. And this is the secret that the Forbes 400 and many other wealthy people use. And that is the fact that this value formula, which is value equals the net income divided by the rate of return, or actually the net operating income divided by the cap rate, then that formula drives the value of multifamily and other types of commercial real estate. Well, if you can increase the numerator, and if you can shrink the denominator, which you can't always do, by the way, you can significantly increase the value of the property. Now, if you use some safe leverage, you can significantly increase it even more. And so this formula used in a predictable way is a way to maintain and grow the wealth of lots and lots of billionaires and other super wealthy. And that is something that formula is not widely known to the world. And so, um, but now you and your, of course, you know it, but your podcast guests know it now as well. Yep, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. So what are some of the strategies you recommend for people to earn total returns of 15 plus safely? So I think that, again, it's this value add strategy, but it's not just value add in general. It is the acquisition strategy for using this value formula. If you can find mom and pop owned multifamily and other commercial property, you can pay them a fair price for it, but you can do this value add strategy. And, you know, without the value add strategy, if you're just like an institution, buyer, you might be, you know, getting four or five, 6% return on your money uh, right now. But using value add and finding these mom and pops and upgrading them will get you, you know, likely into the teens if you know what you're doing. So, you know, finding, for example, we found our operating partner found a self-storage property in Beeville, Texas, and the five kids were fighting. The parents had passed away and they left those kids. Had, that property was deteriorating. And so my operating partner was able to acquire it for a fair price, $2.3 million. Well, a year later, uh, that property is under contract to sell for $4.6 million. Okay. And that's because they bought it right. They fixed the delinquency. They fixed the occupancy. They fixed the low you know, under market rates and they added value add stuff. Like if you add U-Haul alone to a self-storage facility, that can increase the value of the property up to almost a million dollars using the value formula. So a year later, if they sell it for double, okay, you think, oh, wow, they doubled their money. Well, at first glance, it seems like it, but the investors, it's more like quadrupled their money because if you took 50% debt into account, it leverages the equity. So if the asset value has doubled, which it has, the equity value might have gone up 4x, which it has. And so that is, you know, you get a few deals like that in your portfolio and you get some other deals returning five or 10% and you're easily in the teens uh, as far as return. Awesome. So how commercial real estate investors partner with IRS to reap significant profits while paying virtually no taxes? You know, in 2017, some of us were really nervous about what Congress was up to. They thought, you know, maybe the 1031 exchange would be taken away and it was. 
for everybody except real estate investors. But the 1031 exchange uh, was maintained for us. And a lot of real estate investors who combine a 1031 exchange with a Delaware statutory trust can lower their hassles, become more passive, and still kick the can down the road, not paying any capital gains tax or de depreciation recapture tax for a long time. And if they do that all the way till they pass from this earth, then their heirs will likely never have to pay that depreciation recapture or capital gains tax. So that's a couple ways. There's also this thing called cost segregation that you're aware of. And that's where we basically divide a property into its real and its personal components, things like lighting, flooring, cabinets, countertops, appliances, paint, landscaping, parking lot stripes, a lot of things like that can be taken out and cost segregated out of the, the value and depreciated on an accelerated basis. Well, when you do that, you dramatically increase tax deductions for the equity investors in the early years, especially. And so it's possible. Let's put it this way. A friend of mine in commercial real estate for 25 years said, if the American people knew how little commercial real estate investors pay in taxes, there'd be another tax revolt, but this time it would be against us. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. So why did you call your podcast, How to Lose Money? Yeah, you know, I used to go to these conferences and I would see the speakers telling about their great successes and that was great and that was really encouraging. But I also noticed that a lot of people in the audience, especially newbies, were really discouraged and they'd feel, and I was one of those people, and they would feel like, oh, I'll never get there. I'll never be able to do this. I'll never have those connections. I'll never have that much luck or providence. I, I'm just, you know, I think I'm just stuck. Maybe I should quit. And they, I didn't hear them say that, but I sensed that that was what they were feeling a lot of times because I sure did. And so when I actually got on that stage and was able to meet those other speakers, I realized, wait a minute, they're just like everybody else. They have the same fears and pain and losses and struggles along the way. They just persevered and came through to the other side. Well, guess what? Everybody can do that. And so I wanted to show the world that these successful people, you know, were able to persevere and get through the same pain and fears that everybody else had. So the show uh, interviews successful entrepreneurs, investors, you know, business professionals, and it basically takes them through their biggest painful story. And it shows the world that everybody can overcome trial and difficulty along the way. Awesome. Awesome. So would you please share me your best and worst moments in real estate or outside of real estate? Yeah. So in real estate, one time I bought in 2006, I knew the market was cracking. I, I could just already sense that the resort real estate market where we were was cracking, but I had some cash I wanted to deploy. And so I bought a lot at Smith Mountain Lake for 330000 Now, I'd already bought a couple dozen other lots and sold most of them for a large profit. But this particular lot, I ended up, I listed it and it didn't sell and I kept a higher price. I kept, you know, I was trying to sell it for 400000 Well, to make a long story short, 13 years later, I finally sold it for 139000 And uh, the value of that lot just, I mean, basically that subdivision fell out of favor and Smith Mountain Lake lots 
fell out of favor. And so anyway, that cost me well over $350,000, a very painful loss. But um, I reinvested it in a proper, in a portfolio of commercial self-storage and mobile home parks that uh, are returning a very high return. So I'm actually very encouraged about the future of what was left on that money. That was a painful story for sure. A success story would be the first time I stumbled into multifamily. I didn't even know what a rent roll was. I literally had no idea. And we were already operating this facility in North Dakota for a couple of years when I first heard that term. Of course, we knew who was staying at our, you know, at our multifamily. We just didn't know the term rent roll. So that's kind of funny. But uh, anyway, we uh, built that property and we decided to build it nicer than the other ones in town. This was a town of 3,000 people that had about 10,000 guests there for the oil boom in North Dakota. So we built our property to be much better than the other ones around. And when we did that, we were able to show uh, potential buyers when we went to sell, look, this property will be still you know, uh, performing well, even when oil prices drop. And they might someday. It was Oil was about $100 a barrel. Well, we sold it for $8 million. One of the reasons it went so well is, you know, average rent across the country. You know, if you went to Greensboro or Lynchburg or the middle of the country, you know, you could say that rent is about a dollar per square foot per month. An 800 square foot apartment, you know, class B might rent for about 800 bucks, more or less. Well, these little units, they were fully furnished and they had all the utilities, but they were renting for $13 per square foot per month. And they were staying pretty full because the oil companies were happily paying that rate because of they needed the oil workers. So that was one of our biggest successes. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for sharing that, Paul. So why you left multifamily syndication behind to establish three commercial real estate funds? Yeah, so I we did, we realized that my strengths were in writing and uh, podcasts and live shows and uh, per, you know producing more books and things. And we didn't have a really, really strong property management, asset management team. And that was tested by a multifamily deal we did. And yes. So in frustration, we began to look outside of, you know, just multifamily. And of course, mobile home parks are another type of multifamily. And we looked at that. And self-storage is a different commercial asset class, of course. But we found that both, like multifamily, are quite recession resistant. They do well in downturns. And so we actually began to invest or look, you know, research investing in these other asset types. And we realized, you know, it's really late in the cycle. There's going to be a downturn someday soon. And we don't want to be an operator during that time, especially since we're new at it. We don't want to take millions of dollars from investors for something that we're new at. And so we actually decided to invest with other operators. We decided it would be best if we invest in professional experienced, well-vetted operators and invest in their deals. And that's exactly what we started to do. And uh, so by doing that, we've been able to get outsized returns and we've been able to provide, you know, lim uh, significantly better downside protection for our investors. And so we pulled together three funds and now we're working on a Delaware statutory trust to help 1031 exchange investors have a home for their replacement property. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. So what is your current focus on share something you're excited about now? Yeah. So our current focus is our Wellings 
growth and income fund, which is called the Wellings Income Fund 2. And uh, we're raising capital for that. We've deployed millions of dollars since COVID started in the spring of this year. And we plan to deploy a few million dollars more by the end of the year, hopefully more in the spring. And we're actually quite bullish on the mom and pop owned self-storage and mobile home parks our operator uh, partners are acquiring. We're seeing that the income is approximately what we have projected, which would be, you know, let's say an average of five to 10% per year from operations. But the appreciation that we're seeing on paper so far is far exceeding what we expected and what we projected to investors. So we're very happy with where we are and uh, where the fund is going. What I'm excited about right now is the Delaware Statutory Trust. You know, 1031 exchanges are great, but they're really hard to find a replacement property. Sometimes the size doesn't work. The location sometimes doesn't work. Sometimes the debt and equity mix doesn't work. Sometimes people don't like the asset class. You know, they might not like self-storage, for example, but they might, that's maybe that's all they can find. They have incredible amount of time pressure, 45 days to name three replacement properties in the midst of this COVID environment. It's still a seller's market, at least as, a, as of this day when we're recording this. And so it's um, very, very hard to find deals a lot of times. And so a Delaware statutory trust is a way to get into a fractional ownership situation for a 1031 exchange replacement property. It allows multiple investors to exchange into this one vehicle. And this vehicle has beneficial interests of all the investors. And so the investors get a stabilized, predictable return and all of the appreciation at the end when the property is sold. So this is, I'm really excited about this because I've had lots of 1031 exchange investors I couldn't help over the years. And as a result, we set up this DST and we're really uh, happy that we're able to help investors now. Okay, cool. So one advice that impacted you? Yeah. So I really want to just remind people that the, who you are today is who you will be if you fail or if you succeed. And we all have successes and failures. I mean, even Warren Buffett has had a lot of failed investments, it appears, this year uh, alone. And so who you are now is who you'll be then. So work on your character, work on who you are when no one's looking, you know, have integrity in the very, very small things. If someone gives you the wrong change at a store, tell them and, you know, give it back. I mean, do what's right now and you'll do what's right when the stakes are much, much higher or when the pressure is on. Awesome. So any of your personal habits that helped you to be successful? Yeah. One thing I do is I get up every morning and I try to spend some time in prayer and meditation. And uh, I try to take some breaks during the day to relax and to breathe deeply and to really just reset. And I've not been very good at that. I usually, my nature is to run really, really hard all day, but I've learned to do that and it's been really, really helpful. Cool. Say any one book that impacted your life and what way? Yeah, one book I'd recommend really highly is called The One Thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papazon. A lot of business people know this book. Gary Keller, of course, is the co-founder of Keller Williams Real Estate. And um, the uh, book talks about the importance of 
focusing on one thing in your life, focusing on one thing, one big goal for the long term in each of like seven areas of your life, and then one thing every week, one thing every day, one thing every hour, and not multitasking. And so I think that book has had perhaps more impact on me than almost any, and uh, I recommend it as often as I can. Awesome, awesome. Thanks for sharing that. So how are you giving back to community, Paul? Yeah, so my son and I are looking right now at opportunities. We are trying to provide funding to help underprivileged people around the world. And uh, in fact, I wrote an email to a friend last night about midnight and said that my son and I wanted to give to uh, uh, something and I knew he had two or three projects he was working on and wanted to hear more details. We're also trying to raise awareness about human trafficking, and we're trying to donate to rescue its victims and provide a safe home for them and a new life for them. Awesome. So how can listeners can connect with you? Yeah, they can come through my website, which is wellingscapital.com. That's W-E-L-L-I-N-G-S-C-A-P-I-T-A-L, wellingscapital.com. Thank you, Paul. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, me too, Rama. Thank you. It was an honor to be on your show. If you like the show, please subscribe, share, rate, and review. And if you want to connect with me, please send me a message, info at ushacapital.com. Thank you for listening. Creating Wealth Through Passive Apartment Investing Podcast. I hope you learned something from the show. See you in the next episode. Thank you. Any information provided from these shows are educational purpose only. As always, please consult with your own CPA, legal and financial advisor before investing.